The Holy Gospel for Easter Sunday comes from John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our creator, and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen. And on the first day, Mary Magdalene comes in the morning while it is yet dark to the tomb. And she sees the stone that has been removed from the tomb. So she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple and says to them, they've removed the Lord from the tomb and we have not known where they put him. Now that's not exactly the same as the sentence I just read when we were standing for the gospel. That one is, the one I just said, is a little clunkier grammar-wise anyway. Had I turned in that version to my notoriously strict ninth grade English teacher, Mrs. Myler, it would have come back decorated with red ink and decoration, uh, excuse me, directions to clarify a really important part of the story, namely, what verb tense are you using? I can see it now. Mary Magdalene comes in the morning is in the present tense, she would say. 
we have not known where they have put him is awkwardly in the past tense. You can't have a story in the past and the present. Which one is it? Even now, some, and I did the math on this, 36 years after ninth grade, that was painful math, I still feel uncomfortable about even imaginarily criticizing my ninth grade English teacher, who was, let me be clear, in case she's watching online, I guess, one of the most formative and influential teachers of my life. It is particularly unfair that I am making up this whole story and turning her into the enemy. Because really, the grammar of the story isn't a problem. What I just read to you is an attempt to faithfully represent the original Greek of this ancient tale, which starts the whole thing in the present tense. Mary Magdalene comes in the morning. It's kind of like you're sitting down at dinner with a friend, someone you haven't seen for a while, and they want to tell you all the things, you know, sort of catch you up on what they've been doing, and they just launch into the story that they've been holding on to for a while. So Mary comes to the tomb in the morning while it's still dark, but the stone is moved, so she totally runs and finds the other disciples and tells them to get over here. Something is super weird, and she doesn't know what it is. You can feel the gospel almost rushing in its breath to tell you the story. Translation is tricky business. If you speak more than one language, you probably know that already. Moving from one language to another is not straightforward. You can easily get caught in dialects or colloquialisms or cliches that mean one thing in one language but wouldn't work at all in another. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse is sometimes something we say in English, but you probably wouldn't directly translate it into Spanish or Chinese or Arabic. Here's a travel tip. If you try to say, I am hot in French, like, whoo, it's hot, it's a hot day, right? Without making a crucial verb adjustment in the middle, you will unknowingly walk up to a stranger on the streets of Paris, fan yourself and go, whoo, I am pregnant. <laughs> Very important to change the verb. All of this gets more complicated when moving not just from one language to another, but across time, history, and cultures. Sometimes what these ancient Hebrew and Greek people meant when they originally wrote down the stories that you and I are reading thousands of miles and thousands of years later in English is a mystery buried beneath all those miles and those years. And yet, even considering all those moving translation parts, if my ninth grade English teacher had criticized the story, she would have been right about one thing. This story cannot pick a verb tense. <laughs> it moves from past to present and future and back again over and over throughout the whole story. It's like things are happening right now, but they also happened long ago, and they are yet to happen all in the same moment. It makes for such weird English that the translations we read Move it all into the past tense. It happened a long time ago. But that's not quite right. Mary had stayed at the tomb weeping outside. As she is weeping, she stoops to look in the tomb and beholds two angels who are sitting in white garments and they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she says, 
They've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. You and I are here today, at least in part, maybe largely in part, because of something that happened a long way away, just outside Jerusalem, a very long time ago. An event which is firmly in the past. A tomb with the stone rolled away and two, the, the two angels sitting inside and a woman weeping outside of the tomb, believing that all her hopes were gone. We're here because something happened in those days in that place. And not just on the Sunday, but in the days and years before that, right? We're here because something happened as Jesus washed his disciples' feet and showed them what it looked like to actually love one another, those humble acts of service. As he fed them with bread and wine and showed them how God would be with them in the ordinary stuff, the regular meals, the wheat and the grain and the grapes of their lives. As Jesus took into himself on the cross all of our human brokenness, our desire to scapegoat, blame someone else for our problems, our consistent belief that violence against someone will keep other people safe, our capacity to keep track of other people's flaws while conveniently ignoring our own. Jesus took all of that into his body on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They really do not know what they are doing. Something happened in those ancient days and in that old place, which had not happened before and has not happened since. Something that is in the past tense. And yet, we're also here because of our present. Because we, like Mary, are still weeping for things that have been taken away. And we can't find them anymore. We're weeping because we still believe that violence against others will keep some of us safe when all evidence tells us this is not true. We're weeping because, as one pastor has said, death is a thief we cannot put on trial and punish for all that it takes from us. We're weeping because storms rage and the earthquakes and the tornadoes land and life changes in an instant, a breath, a phone call, and suddenly everything we thought we had a firm grip on is gone. We weep because even the natural movement of generations, that one passes away while the next one comes, even that can break our hearts while it's happening. How beautiful it is that Easter happens. Easter arrives while it is still dark. That's when Mary comes to the tomb. Before anyone can even see their hand in front of their face or the next step on the road. Before the sun rises and shows us its glory. Before the light reveals that Mary was never alone at all. God is at work in the dark. How beautiful it is that the first Easter gift Mary is given is the opportunity to tell her story, to talk about why she is weeping, to look inside the tomb and admit how much she hurts. The angels don't tell her to hurry it along, get over it, just have more faith. Easter's first appearance 
among us is a question. Why are you weeping? How beautiful it is that Jesus wants Mary to have enough time to, to tell that story that he asks her again. Why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And she, says the old Greek, supposing he is the gardener, she says to him, Sir, if you've carried him off, tell me where he is. I'll go find him. And Jesus says to her, Mary. With much fear and trembling, I must proclaim to you that my ninth grade English class got this a bit wrong. Things can happen in the past and the present and the future all at the same time. What happened long ago can still be happening. A love that was born long ago never really dies. For better and for worse, and it can certainly be both, we carry in us, in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, our past, our present, and our future every time we breathe. We are often still weeping at the tombs of things that we think are gone forever. It's still dark a lot of the time. <laughs> and Jesus says, not said, says, Mary. Not just a thing that happened a long ago to this Mary Magdalene woman we'll never meet, but a word that is still being spoken to you, your name, here and now in this place. Oh, my people, why are you weeping? What are you seeking? You too are invited to look into the tombs that you carry with you, the things we think are the end of everything. Because as the sun rises, we can begin to see that the only things left in there are the wrappings which would not hold. We too today are named and sent and loved. Jesus says to us, go, don't stay, don't hold on, move forward, go and tell the others. To borrow at least a title from Hollywood, Easter is everything everywhere all at once. Past and present, what we have known, what we don't even know how to ask and what we hope for. In all that we lose, in all that we find, in the dark and in the rising sun, Christ is risen. That's how we say it, after all, isn't it? Not Christ was, which is true, or will be, which is also true, but is. Now and here, in the world as we know it, in all our frailties and failings. Kind of like the small bits of glass that make up the piece of art that's on the front of your bulletin cover this morning, a mosaic made up of thousands and thousands of bits of glass, dark and light, every color, the broken pieces of our past and present and future will one day become a beauty we can scarcely imagine. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the past and the present and the future, everywhere, always, all at once. Alleluia, my friends. Alleluia indeed. Amen.